morning, St. Michael's. Please stand. God, as we lift up our praises this morning, I pray that your presence just fill this place. Continue through this Lenten season, Lord. I pray that you continue to work in our hearts.
Bless the Lord who forgives our sins. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The sure remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, Lord, have mercy.
Together, the Colette. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and various changes of the world, our hearts may surely then be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading comes from Jeremiah. Chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. 
But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 51. We'll read beginning in verse 5, responding by the asterisk. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Make me hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. This morning's second reading comes from Hebrews, chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. 
Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to, up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But it's for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's open today with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that as I speak today the words that you've given to me, that you would loose the bonds of those who feel and are captive, Lord. That you, through your truth, would set us free to see you clearly, to love what you love, and to experience the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message, Fixed on True Joy. So keep that in mind as I talk about suffering and death and pain. We're fixed on true joy, I promise. We'll get there. There's this guy that I love, and if you've heard me talking recently, you've probably heard me bring him up. His name is Jordan B. Peterson. And if you haven't heard me talking about it, you might have heard about him in the news. He's like a really controversial public intellectual guy. He's a clinical psychologist. And his basic message is this. Meaning and significance comes from shouldering the greatest burden that you could possibly bear. And all of you are like, wow, that's a pump. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. Let's get those burdens, Right? But there's something he's saying in the midst of that message that is appealing to people all over the world. His book sold six million copies around the world. It's being translated into many languages. He spoke at 160 cities a couple of years back, and he spoke to 250,000 people at least that showed up to watch a public intellectual talk, walking around like this, talking, not even looking at everybody, for two hours. 250 people, 250,000 people showed up. In fact, I was one of those people. Me and Father Powell and my dad and mom and a bunch of us went out there to see this guy talk about suffering and embracing the suffering that the world brings. What in the world is going on? Why is that message resonating with people? Well, if you've been listening the past few weeks, we've basically been preaching that message. That through the suffering and pain and the voluntary embrace of the responsibilities that God has given us, that he will train us and raise us up. That it's through death that you reach resurrection. That's been the message. And you guys, maybe you're thinking, man, Lent is hard this year. We're getting it again and again and again. 
But I want to tell you that the reason why people are choosing to listen to that message is the reason why we should listen to that message. And that is because there is nothing else out there that solves the problems of our life. That the message of death and resurrection is actually at the core of what it means to be human, what it means to know love and joy. If you think about all the different things people commit their lives to, whether it's money, right? Do you think Jeff Bezos is the happiest man alive because he's the richest? I don't know. I mean, his wife had some choice words to say about him when she divorced him. I'm not making a moral judgment on his life. I don't know their situation. And I'm sure it was heartbreaking and painful and that God himself grieved over the breaking of that union. So I don't want to blithely say he's probably just an evil, rich guy who he's divorced so we can condemn him. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that, you know what, if I had to choose between him and me, I want to be me. I want to be the guy who has a wonderful, supportive wife who knows what it is to lay my life down for her to lay my life down for the church and who is trying to do that better every day. That those billions of dollars don't make him happy. Period. End of story. And the idea of the American dream, if you just work really hard, you'll get raised up to this place where you can maybe own your own business so you'll be a manager in corporate America and you'll be able to buy a house. None of those things are bad, but it's not enough. That's why you see so many people rebelling against that idea. You see so many people saying, oh, it's unfair in the world. I'm oppressed. I can't get those things. It's like they're chasing the wrong goals. If instead you chase Jesus and his kingdom and you submit yourself to his way, which includes death and resurrection, then you will see true joy. Now, all of that was my introduction, so let's get going. We're going to talk about some of the readings today because they really show how did, how did this get lived out. Because there's one person that I know of on the entire planet in the history of the world who embraced this wholeheartedly, and that was Jesus. So we're going to talk about what did that mean for Jesus to embrace a way of living that he then calls us to live. A way of living that we're told brings true joy. Because you know what? I want more joy in my life. I want more joy and peace in my life. I want that. And so this is hopefully going to give you some of the tools to reach that. And we're made the promise first. I love the reading today because in the Old Testament we're made the promise. God says, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all Know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I don't know if you heard that, but no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother. So that means there's a time where you don't have to listen to me preaching from a pulpit anymore. There's a time coming where you will actually know God so well that we won't have to teach each other. We'll just both be knowing God together in community. I look forward to that. You will know the Lord. Ultimately, and this is really hard sometimes for us to grasp intellectually, but ultimately, the truest and highest good, the truest and highest, the truest and highest joy is to know the Lord. Let's talk about what that means then. What Jesus, what we learned about Jesus this morning when we read our New Testament. In Hebrews 5, 7, and 9, 
is fasting, fascinating. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Or the translation we read this morning said, he was heard because of his fear. So maybe that challenges your idea of Jesus, right? Have you ever thought of Jesus as somebody who cried with loud tears and laments, as somebody who had fear of the Lord? Instead, we like to think of Jesus as the guy who walked on water, and we even use that like, oh, that guy's walking on water, man. He's just on top of the world, right? Or we think of Jesus as just going into this amazing ministry with complete and utter confidence like we could never imagine. And yet we're told again and again in the scripture that he were shown a more human Jesus than that. In fact, a perfectly human Jesus, right? One who knows our weakness, who can sympathize with the way that we feel. So what are we learning about this? When, when do we see Jesus? I, wanted, I was curious, when do we see Jesus praying with tears? When do we see Jesus crying? I want to examine those stories. There's three times in scriptures where it specifically articulates that Jesus was weeping in these moments. And I want to see what is his response, because when we encounter those places in our life, I want to do it the way Jesus did it. So let's talk about this here. At the tomb of Lazarus is the most famous time in the shortest verse in all of scripture, right? Jesus wept. So what's the story here? Jesus has a good friend. In fact, we think probably one of his best friends outside of his followers who walked with him day by day. And they come and they say, Lazarus is sick. Come, Jesus, heal him. And what does he tell his disciples? He says, no, we're not going to go. We're not going to go see Lazarus. And the disciples and everybody, his followers, are aghast. Why wouldn't you go? And in fact, not to go too far down this rabbit hole of this story, but it's fascinating. The the disciples think he doesn't want to go because he's afraid that the religious leaders are going to crucify him. That's why they think he's not going. They're like, oh, he's staying away from Judea because the people want to kill him or stone him, right? Because a couple days later, Jesus says, okay, it's time to go see Lazarus. And they go, wait a second. I thought we had this figured out. They're going to kill you if you go there. But you know what? Jesus's delay, we find out, was not because he was afraid of the religious leaders, but actually because he was following a higher purpose. He was following a higher directive. And you know what? We see this perfect moment where he arrives at the tomb and he sees people weeping at the death of his friend. And he just breaks down and cries. I don't even think Jesus wept like in a pretty or holy way, right? Maybe you think of Jesus as like serenely standing there and a couple tears are falling down his face. I think he wept like you and I. Snot coming down his face, bent over double. I think Jesus felt in the same type of way that you might have felt when you experienced a tragedy of losing someone you love. Let's not purify Jesus so that he is no longer relatable to us at all. The whole point of him coming is so that we could be in relationship with him and understand him and learn to be like him. So he breaks down in pain as we all would, even though he knows that God has a plan. He told his disciples, this is actually not an illness to death. This is for God's glory. But you know what? We, We all know this well. To know the truth And to feel the truth are two completely different things. You might know that God loves you. You might know that God's taking care of you. You might know that Jesus said, do not be anxious for anything. 
But it's not so easy to not be anxious for anything. It's not so easy to not feel the pain of that. And we see Jesus knowing the truth, knowing that this is not an illness to death, but Lazarus will be raised from the dead. He still has to encounter the reality of this tragedy. And he has to walk it out. Jesus knew the truth, but he had to walk it out. And so then, of course, we see the joy of resurrection. The most remarkable resurrection story outside of Jesus' own resurrection. When he's taking off the burial clothes and he's, you can imagine the embrace that comes as Lazarus comes back from the dead. I mean, it's joy unimaginable, right? They were in the pit of despair and yet they see resurrection and God is glorified. And the word spreads, hey, God's doing something. Next we see Jesus, and this is actually chronological because the death of Lazarus and the raising of Lazarus gets him so that much closer to being killed because you know what? The religious leaders, they couldn't stand the idea that somebody outside of their system had the power to raise the dead, and they're getting scared. It's like if he can raise the dead, man, he's going to just overthrow everything. So we see this progression from that moment, and we, it's, it's relevant for Lent because that's what we're walking out. We're walking out this march to the cross. You'll see it really clearly next Sunday as we go into Palm Sunday. But as Jesus is getting closer now to Jerusalem, he looks out over Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be crucified, and he cries. He weeps and says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you were not willing. Now we can see the poetic the poetic, not even justice, but the, the mercy of Christ in this, because he's weeping over a people who are going to call out for his crucifixion. Like I mentioned, next week we have Palm Sunday, and we get that powerful moment in the gospel lesson where we're all prompted to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And those very people who are going to call to Jesus, crucify him, Jesus is weeping and saying, I would love to embrace you, to bring you into deep healing relationship with me, and yet you're not willing. That cuts to my heart because I wonder how many times Jesus has looked down on my life and said, Jesse, Jesse, I want to embrace you. I want to heal you, but you're not willing. How many times has Jesus wept over us or our friends or our neighbors when he wants to bring them into his embrace? So we see in this the heart of message that not only... Are we called to enter into death and resurrection? But Jesus is actually has so much compassion for us that he went first. <laughs> he did it for us so that every time we encounter a situation, and they could be big or small, right? It could be as simple as, uh, you know, a death and resurrection is like, man, I want to watch the football game. But you know what? Instead of that, I feel God prompting me, hey, you need to go and clean the kitchen for your wife. Made-up scenario. I've never skipped a football game in my life, but I probably should now. Um, but the point is, right? But the point is, I could imagine a situation in which God might tap on your shoulder and say, hey, you need to die to your desire to watch this football game, and you need to clean your house. That feels like a serious death. But you know what? He promises when we give in to those things that he will raise us again, that there will be true joy found when we submit our wills and our desires to his. So for our sakes, he knew the truth that Jerusalem was going to crucify him, that the people he loved were going to turn on him, and yet he walked it out. He knew the truth, but he still had to walk it out. And we see that manifest most 
evidently, most importantly, most powerfully in the Garden of Gethsemane, where, we, where he goes off by himself to pray, and he calls out, and they say he even wept tears of blood, just utter agony as he cries out to God, would that you could take this cup from me. What did we read today in the gospel? This is before the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is already considering the importance and what God's leading him to. And he says, now my soul is troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We do disservice to the agony that Jesus walked through when we only focus on the Garden of Gethsemane. This is weeks leading up to the death and resurrection. He's agonizing over the fact that God's leading him step by step, and he's wrestling with that question. It's like, will I ask God to save me from his purposes? But this is the reason I'm here. The reason nothing else satisfies in the world is because you were actually made for a purpose. The reason that money, sex, drugs, lust, Comfort, the reason none of those things are fulfilling in you is because you're actually called for a purpose on this world. That might be getting married, raising a family, having a particular job, loving the people in your life, coming to church and glorifying God. But there are purposes that God has set in front of you. And the question we should ask ourselves when we're going through our hard times is, what shall we pray, Father, save me from this hour? Or is this your will for me? Are you leading me step by step through this? Now, that doesn't mean as we see, right? That came before the Garden of Gethsemane. But do you know what? When, it, when Jesus was confronted with the true pain, not just the physical pain of the cross, but the true pain that the people he loved more than we could imagine were betraying him and putting him up on the cross. When he came to that reality, He cries out, weeps in pain, weeps tears of blood and says, Father, is there any other way? But even at that moment, Jesus is able to say, no, but your will be done. Even at that moment. Now, why do we even know the story of the the garden? I was wondering this the other day. We find out in the story of the garden that the disciples are sleeping while this is happening. Jesus is having his crisis moment. And his disciples are sleeping. Maybe you've had people in your life where you're having your most difficult moment and the person you thought you could rely on is sleeping. It's pretty relatable. Let me say that. But how do we know the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? We know it because Jesus then told the disciples later, Hey, you know what I was doing that night? I was weeping tears of blood. I was crying out to God, Father, save me. Father, is there any other way but not my will, your will be done? Why did Jesus tell us that story? That could have been his private fight with God, and we would have never known Jesus in that moment of doubt and pain. He told us because he wanted you to know it's okay to have those moments of pain, those moments where you cry out to God and say, Father, where you're weeping and you just say, Father, is there any other way? He wanted to model for us the way that we could respond in those moments. The way that we could respond when we're faced with the most difficult thing that we ever see in our life. He wanted us to know how to respond in tragedy and difficulty. And the way to respond is not to ignore the pain, not to pretend that it's not there. 
The way to respond is to call out to your Father who loves you. And to remember that He loves you. And that nevertheless, there will be resurrection. There will be joy. He knew the truth that God would raise him from the dead, but he had to walk it out. Now, why did Jesus go through all this suffering even though he knew the truth and was willing to follow God's commandments, right? If he knows all the right doctrines, which we know he does, if he's willing to obey, then why did he have to actually go through the process of obeying and suffering? Because we see in Hebrews, as we finish out uh, our Hebrews passage, it said, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So even Jesus had to learn obedience. It's actually, I would argue, written into the fabric of reality that we have to actually walk out the truth. We can't just know it. And in fact, if you say you know it, but you're not willing to walk it out, we call those people hypocrites. They don't really know the truth. If you know the truth and yet you can't walk it out when it's difficult, then are you, do you really know it? And I don't say that as a condemnation, but I say that as an invitation. If you know the truth, like we prayed in our collect, that there's true joy on the other side of the death that God's calling you to in your life, then why don't you do it? It says, in fact, that Jesus learned obedience and he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. We were going to go through a YouTube clip, but we're going to skip that. Eventually, I want to learn how to use TVs to make these messages more compelling because I think there's a way to do that, but I couldn't get it all working this morning, so we're going to skip that. I'm going to describe it to you. So close your eyes and imagine a guy on skis with a parachute and he's flying off a mountain and there's buildings in front of him and he curves around and he jumps off of one building and then he curves around and he jumps off the other one and then he falls through and he, he grabs the parachute and he collapses it in his arms and he goes flying through this tunnel and then he comes out the other side and he parachutes off into the sunset. Now open your eyes. Who here would like to be like that guy? Right here. I would love to be that guy. It's insane to watch him do these miraculous tricks. He's got skis on his feet and he's got a parachute and he's flying through and he's like gliding and he's hitting the side of the buildings and then he, he like perfectly lands on the ground so that he's still, he's now skiing. He collapses the parachute. He goes through the tunnel and he comes out the other side and there's all these different tricks he does. He does a backflip. He does a barrel roll. He does all these things and then he flies off into the sunset. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. It's compel- I watched it like five times this morning when I saw it pop up on Facebook. Why did I watch that? It's not just because the cinematography was beautiful and there was this kind of, the, the, the sound mixing was perfect. I mean, everything about the video was great, but I watched it because there was a guy on the screen who had achieved a level of mastery unlike anything that I could possibly dream of. He had, achieved an, he had achieved an ideal. And what he had done is he had sacrificed those parts of his life that held him back from achieving that ideal. And he had, it said in his bio, as a teenager, 
When he wasn't on skis, he was spending hours learning the basics of the demanding discipline of parachuting. Can you imagine a teenager who's so committed that instead of Netflix, instead of video games, instead of hanging out with their friends, they are spending hours learning the disciplines of their craft. The reason that he's so compelling and amazing is because he died to all the other things in his life that could have distracted him. And he had one goal, one focus, to be the best, I guess there's a new name for it, it's called uh, speed skiing or something like that. The best speed skier in the world. That basically means you use the parachute and the skis and you get these huge, uh, huge miles per hour and you can ski things that nobody ever skis. He submitted himself. He died to the ideal that was set before him. And you know what? I think he had some true joy as he was sailing through that city, as he was jumping off those ramps, doing the backflips. He had some true joy because he had bought into the program. The program is this. If you will take up your cross and follow Christ and die to the other desires in your life, then he will raise you to newness of life and bring you into true joy and eventually eternal joy where everything that you gave up in this life will be restored, we're told, a hundredfold. All of that to say, when we are willing to lay down our life for the purposes that God has set before us, we can achieve, literally, we can become sons of God. We can be like Jesus. And it's not just something where you can be like a super sports person and you're flying around in your parachute, right? That's just an example. We also see that in music when somebody plays an instrument better than we could possibly imagine. It's like the tens of thousands of hours that got them to that point. Yeah, I don't think I'm willing to pay that price. It's pretty awesome. It's transcendent. I can't imagine how good it is. But there was a dying and a rising that had to happen for that to be fulfilled. So what are we saying this morning? Well, we found it right. I could have just read the collect and we would have been done with this whole sermon. But let's just go back and read these couple sentences here, right? Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because he loved what God commanded, regardless of what it cost him, And he looked forward to the promise of God, which was true joy. He did it for the joy that was set before him. There's this perplexing line in Psalm 51 that I want to leave you with. And it said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Why are we crazy Christians able to say something as Absurd as that. But the bones that you have broken rejoice. It makes no sense from the world's view. But we have an eternal viewpoint. We have the guarantee that the love and the goodness of God will bring us day by day into new life. Death and resurrection is the pattern until we enter that true resurrection where true joy, eternal joy, where every tear is wiped away, where there's no more sorrow, no more pain. If you take anything away from this sermon, take it this, that the balance of the scales in our life, it's not good and bad. 
evenly sparsed out like karma tries to teach. It's actually eternal good. The good outweighs the bad more than we can ever imagine. And if you're going through a hard time right now, know that you have a Savior who knows how you feel. Truly knows and sympathizes and cares. He's not sitting up there going like, man, if they could just get their act together. No, he's entering in. He's weeping with you. He is sorrowing with you. And yet he is holding out hope for you in a way that you can't imagine because he knows the joy on the other side of death. He knows the resurrection that's coming. Have hope. Easter is coming. Amen? That was an exceptional message. You killed it. You killed it. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory, to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for the church and for the world. Father, we pray for your church. That we all may be one. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. That they may be faithful ministers of your word and sacraments. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. That there may be justice and peace on the earth. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. That our works may find favor in your sight. Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. We ask in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Reach your neighbor with the peace.
Good morning. All right, for the uh, announcements, there are a few. Uh, confession, you've got two more weeks to come on Saturday and, do your, and give your confession. We're still encouraging everybody who has a need on that to come. It's a great, great ministry that is done there in that confession. Um, you know, one thing I want to do, yesterday we did have some people laying down their lives and, uh, you know, taking up their cross. And we had a men's meeting here. And so I want to thank everybody who came to the men's meeting. Uh, but we didn't just sit around and, uh, and talk. We, we had a few things happen. Uh, I think we, we inflated a bounce house. That happened. Uh, let's see. We battled a beehive with a vacuum. We did that. Uh, <laughs> and it ended up with, uh, I think, John House on top of a big pile of stuff a ton of stuff that we took to the dump, Bishop. So we got rid of a ton of stuff here on campus, and I think we'll have another meeting later this summer to get rid of even more. But uh, we're just trying to get organized and get fixed up as the men of the church, and we're all excited about it, and we had a really great start to it yesterday. And so I wanna, thank you, everybody. I want to especially thank uh, Sam and Spike Mercer for coming over and helping Karen and I yesterday. At our house, they put doors on it so we actually can secure it. We have uh, no wild animals wandering through anymore, and uh, they were a tremendous blessing to us. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not that many places where you find men like we're talking about, Eric. And uh, uh, what a privilege! What a privilege to serve with you, men. Just the greatest bunch of people. Yep. Amen. I we got one. And women. I got one other announcement. I think it might have music with it. I, I don't know. Are we? <clears throat> do we have some music for this announcement? <laughs> Here comes Peter Cottontail. <laughs> they know it. All right. Our Easter egg hunt basket is like two thirds full. Lots of people have been bringing eggs. Thank you for that. But there's still more room in it. So put more eggs in there. The kids. It's two weeks till Easter. And the kids are going to have a big egg extravaganza. Um, so <laughs> enjoy that. Last one. I think this one just deserves a little round of applause. But uh, this is Bishop Kessler's 25th anniversary of becoming a bishop. And we're so grateful to you, Bishop, for standing with us all these years through thick and thin. <laughs> Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Let's pray for the offering. <clears throat> As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Bring your 
Every cause you have for shame, lay it all down. Lay it all down. When your cares have buried you, and there's nothing left to do, lay it all down. Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. the feet of Jesus. Carry on, but your heart was tired. Feared the worst and felt the fire. Lay it all down. Lay it all down. Filled with all those anxious thoughts and your doubts become your God. Lay it all Lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. Yes, at the feet. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. 
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you've given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts, that freed from disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you. As without end we acclaim, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, you're holy indeed, the fountain of all holiness. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy, so may they be become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted. He took bread and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when the supper was ended, he took the cup again, gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. But if you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. Christ Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of our clergy. Remember those who were sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Connie and Susan and Carl, Serena, Naomi, Rachel, Nadia, and Kyle, Sonja, Maria, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Kyla, the Paris family and the Craig family, Jason, the Lutner family, Morgan and Courtney and Scott and David, the Schroop family, and Gavin, the Marines and the sailors at Camp Pendleton. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. As we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit, All honor and glory is yours, almighty God and Father, now and forever. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Amen. Body of Christ.
living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and you have fed us of spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now to the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we have pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel of God is in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world himself, not counting in sins against him. And he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain you always. Amen. You see you break down
Break down every wall. You watch the giant. 